0: Well, grace, peace, and mercy be unto you, from God our Father, and our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Finish the race. Complete the task. As a sportsman, I I value athletics and the lessons that can be taught that you finish a game all the way down until there's no time left on the clock. My poor Michigan friends, I am sorry that it was such a hard lesson for you yesterday. For those of you that are unaware, Michigan, Michigan State, big game, Michigan State never led, all Michigan had to do was on fourth down with 10 seconds, punt the ball to the other end of the field, the kicker muffs the punt, tries to pick it up, tries to kick it, goes right in Michigan State's hands of the player, he runs back over 40 yards, touchdown Michigan State, no time left on the clock. And the stadium over a hundred thousand was like this. <laughs> they had stunned face after stunned face. There was no band playing. Okay, I mean people were stunned. 92 in Barcelona in the Olympics. Canadian runner. Pulled his hamstring coming around the corner of the quarter mile, 400 meters, and fell to the ground. His father running out of the stands, picking his son up, and they hobbled to the finish line. Finish the race, complete the task. And it doesn't matter if you're from a sports world, if you're uh, from other things, you, you know what that means. You know what it means to finish well. How God intends to have us here on this earth and He knows the number of days that we have. He knows the number of hours. He knows what He has given to us. He has created works in advance for us to do. Ephesians 10. So that His name might be honored and glorified so that those around us would see our good works and not glorify us, but give glory to God. Billy Graham, in his book, Nearing Home, writes this in his introduction I never thought I'd live to be this old. All my life I was taught how to die as a Christian, but no one ever taught me how I ought to live in the years before I die. I wish they had because I am an old man now, and believe me, it's not easy. My father celebrated his (laughs) 80th birthday last Wednesday, my first time throwing a party for an octogenarian <laughs> whose friends are also nearing or past that age. It was a slow-moving party. <laughs> there was lots of arm-holding, getting of drinks and serving. It's hard finishing the race. What do you do? What's expected of you? One of the first visits I ever made to a nursing home as a student pastor, I walked down to the end of the hallway. A lady yelled at me and said, get in here. And I said, yes, ma'am. I walked in, sat down. She screamed at me, do you know why I'm here? I thought, oh my gosh. I'm just a seminary student. I don't know how to answer this. I said, no, ma'am, I don't know why you're here. She said, I do. I'm here to teach you seminary boys how to talk to dying old people. (laughs) Yes, (laughs) ma'am. Finishing the race. Completing the tasks. Leonard Sweet, in his book entitled The Well-Played Life, identifies three major sections or times of life. And in the 60-plus section, which is the third section, he writes this, A third age is not when life winds down, but when life winds up. Third agers must learn a theology of risk just as much as the second agers. The time until Jesus returns is not the time for rocking chair readiness, indemnified dreams, or risk-free investments. The third age is the time to blaze new trails, find undiscovered truths, explore strange lands, search for better worlds in which to live and love. It is never too late in life to choose to be open to the wounds of possibility. To close down to those wounds is not to avoid risk, but it is to risk death rather than risking life. He shares the idea of Newton's cradle. You know this genius device five or seven silver-colored balls hanging with little fishing line or some other thin thing. It's always on the f- edge of somebody's desk and the second you walk into the office, all you can think about is not why you're there, but that you want to release one of those balls. Ting, ching, ching. You just uh, get your attention. It's actually one of the most incredible physics understandings is the transference of dynamic energy. See what happens is you pull one ball and balls two, three, and four don't seem to do anything, but ball five then kicks way out and then it comes back becoming ball number one and balls two, three, and four don't move and then ball five kicks way out and and it just transfers the dynamic energy back and forth, back and forth. And I, I think what Leonard Sweet, I think What Billy Graham... I think what they're after is understanding that you you are given time on this earth to transfer the message of the Gospel a truly dynamic energy. And when you do, uh, people two, three, and four in your life, you may not see much change. You may not know the impact that you make into their lives. They may even seem stoic or still, but man, when it passes all the way through. I hope that's the joy that you anticipate, even if you're not 60-plus. But if you're 20 to 59 that you realize wait a minute God is not through with me yet and if you're 0 to 20 you go oh i don't have to worry about that for a long no but that you go no now now is the time and you don't wait cuz you don't know when the clock will expire You don't know when the Lord will finally call you home. It could happen in the blink of an eye in a split second. We may not all be 80 plus. And that's not meant to scare us, but it is meant to motivate us. It is meant to say, wait a minute, how do I live my life in such a way today that the people around me are impacted before we all go home? You see, when Paul writes this letter in Acts chapter 20. He knows that the end is near. He knows that the decisions he's making are going to have consequences. He's been summoned to go talk in Jerusalem. The church is not happy with him. They are not happy that the Gospel has gone out to the Gentiles. They are going to send him from Jerusalem to Rome. And Paul knows what's going to happen to him in Rome. It will be the end of messaging this great gospel. It will be the end of him living it out in such a way that people are attracted to it. It is the end of his breathing and existence and life. When I was early in ministry, an older lady called and said, My husband's... In his last days, would you come and bring communion? He was a big guy, six, seven, probably close to 300 pounds. His wife, a little small, diminutive in a way. They were both in their 80s. He was still conscious a little bit. He said, I'd like communion. I said, Absolutely. And I realized he barely had any saliva. He wasn't going to be able to have the wafer. You know how even for yourselves, the wafer can kind of get stuck in the roof of your mouth and you're just like... I <laughs> feel like your dog with peanut butter, right? And it's like... You don't want to stick your finger in your mouth and it feels weird, a communion. I get it. his wife took the wafer from me. She broke it tiniest of bits. She dipped her fingers into the wine. She took that bit and and rubbed it on her husband's gums until it dissolved. And then uh, he looked at his wife and said, I'll see you at home. He took his last breath. I don't know what God has in store for you. I, I don't know who it's going to be with when you take that last breath. I do know that He expects you to finish the race He has marked out for you. That He expects you to complete the task. And if you've ever wondered, well, what is my task? What is my purpose in this life? Is it to make money? Probably not. Is it to get my name in lights? Probably not. But here we get a glimpse. In verse 18... Paul writes, when they arrived, he said to them, you know how I lived the whole time I was with you. For over three years, Paul spent... With those in Ephesus and he says you know how I lived you saw what I did you experienced meals and prayer time you saw when I had personal devotion and when I was on my knees in prayer how much he cried even and spent that time it wasn't a private thing it was a public kind of thing people saw how he lived verse 19 I served the Lord with great humility with tears Even though I was severely tested. Many scholars believe we're not told in Scripture that part of that thorn that was in Paul's side could have been some type of medical issue that he was dealing with on a daily basis. It could have been. It could have been some sin from his past that he just felt like he couldn't overcome. I don't know what it is, but this life is not going to be without pain and suffering. This life is not going to be without challenge. What Paul says is, no, I served the Lord. That was my job. That's why I've been here on earth is that I serve God in all that I do. And so when you raise your children to know, to love the Lord, to revel in His presence, you're serving God. And when you honor your marriage vow to your spouse, you serve God. And when you love your neighbor, the one you can't stand, you serve God. And when you're courteous on the on-ramp and say, no, I wasn't getting ready to come on here, you go right on ahead and I'll come in just behind you and not tailgate you. You're loving your neighbor. And serving God. Verse 20, you know that I have not hesitated to preach anything that would be helpful. And I did that publicly, and I did it house to house. Here Paul says, "I yeah, I'm a preacher, I'm a talker, I'm out in public spaces. I can preach to you everything, which means God's law and His gospel. The hard things you don't want to hear, as well as the sweetness of His grace. He says, I did it publicly, but I also did it from house to house. Meaning, I took time and I went into your house. You may wonder... Why do they push life groups so much? Why? Because we see it in Scripture. Christians were going around encouraging one another, doing life together throughout the week. 21, I have declared to both Jews and Greeks that they must turn to God in repentance. Yeah, that your life is lived in such a way that you are always pointing people to that cross that you're always pointing your children and your spouse, that you yourself are going there, that the people around you have no doubt that you're a Christian. Now, not a Christian pounding at them, pointing at them, screaming at them, but a Christian that lives the gospel out in such a way that they go, man, that that family serves, and that family gives (laughs) their time, their talents, their treasures. That family doesn't get caught up in all the trappings of this world and spend time where they shouldn't. They, they're, they're at home with family. They invite other people into the resources that God has blessed them with. They share it willingly without compunction. And Paul continues in 22, and now compelled by the Spirit, I'm going to Jerusalem not knowing what's in store. This is a picture of the Christian life that can simply take a step of faith and go, I don't know what's in store. I don't know what's going to get me. I don't know if it's going to be cancer or a car accident. I don't know if it's going to be that I go crazy and that people are going to have to take care of me. (laughs) I don't know how I'm going. But you know what? I'm going. I'm going to take that step because this is where God has me. And I'm not going to wonder, worry, or fear. But I'm going to go. 24, however, I consider my life worth nothing to me. You hear the humility in that? I consider everything that I've ever accomplished. And he, this dude had a resume. He had been around the world, just alone. Well, I've been to this country, this country, this country, this country. I've been to this national park, this national park, this national park. I've been to that camp zone, this camp area. I've gone to work over in this country. and that. I mean, we we do that. And Paul goes, it's worth nothing to me. If only I may finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me. And he explains what the task is. The task of testifying to the gospel of God's grace. What people in your life want to hear is not how obedient you are to God's law, how faithful you are to all of the things that are in Holy Scripture. They want to hear about God's grace. They want to hear about your second, third, and fourth chances. They want to hear about forgiveness. They want to hear about what it means to be restored when the world wants nothing to do with you. They want to know what it means that nobody looks down on you just because you failed. They want to know God's complete love. And he warns them in 28, keep watch over yourselves and all the flock of which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. Dads, you have a responsibility. The Lord has made you an overseer of your house. And if your children go astray, it's on you. And if your wife goes astray, it's on you. This is the calling. This is what it means to be an overseer. It means you lead by example. And some of you may be saying, I have not done a good job of this. I mean, if I confess now and say to my family, hey, I haven't done a good job, they might be shaking their head going, I told you so. So here's the deal. Kids, wives, don't say I told you so. Say thank you by the grace of God. Lead. Be gracious. And not dredging up the past. And at work, ladies, Gentlemen, if you are lead leaders, lead. And in your neighborhoods, lead. And in the organizations to which you belong, lead. Lead out with the gospel. And now, verse 32, I commit you to God and to the word of His grace, which can build you up and give you an inheritance among all of those who are made holy. Well, i got to work hard so that I can get the big payoff at the end. No, no, there's only one payoff that is necessary. And that is that you go home when Jesus calls. And you bring your spouse, your kids, your neighbors, your friends, and your co-workers with you. I don't know when you will be called home but I do know that until then finish the race to God's honor to God's glory. Amen. And now may this word of the Lord strengthen your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus until His return to take us all home. Amen. Let's stand and confess our